Welcome to another edition of the Hawk Off the Press podcast. I'm your host, Gazette Hawkeyes reporter, John Steppy. And a lot of interesting things happening. Men's basketball and women's basketball and wrestling. It's Cyhawk week. And football, it's transfer portal world. And I was going to spend some of the time on this podcast answering your questions. And then got so many that this will be a mailbag podcast. So thanks to everyone in the Hawkeye text update group who sent great questions in. You can join them and get texts from yours truly by going to joinsubtext.com slash Hawkeyes. David asks, why are defensive players entering the portal? Is it better offers economically? In general, NIL is certainly a big factor with the transfer portal across the country. As for why players on Iowa's defense are entering the portal, it's a little bit of the trends of college football catching up to Iowa. Iowa's defense has not seen a ton of attrition in recent years, but the trends that have been going on elsewhere are now starting to affect Iowa. And the unit has had a lot of collective success, but individual players have individual goals. And there are cases where maybe taking their talents elsewhere might be better for accomplishing whatever those individual goals are. And I'll throw out a couple hypotheticals, again, hypotheticals before I get the rumor mill started here unnecessarily. Let's take a guy like Justin Jacobs, certainly the best defensive player, if not the best player overall, to enter the portal from Iowa. And let's say Ohio State hypothetically offers him. Well, the chance to play back in his home state, closer to family, and potentially playing for a national championship, those could be appealing things. Let's throw out the, another hypothetical of Terry Roberts. He's already been offered by Penn State. Let's say he decides to go to the Nittany Lions. Well, playing at Penn State would have some extra meaning for a guy from Erie, Pennsylvania. So each case is different. Each set of cases or each player is they have different factors that matter most to them. But overall, it's the new reality of college football in 2022. Then Milt asked the status of Brian Ferentz, the question that I think a lot of fans are curious about right now. I've said before that I don't envision a situation where Kirk Ferentz fires Brian Ferentz, so it'd require Brian choosing on his own to move on. And right now he has a lot of motivation to stay around, especially now he's got Cade McNamara. The one wild card might be if the right NFL job comes up, but we won't know that for a couple months still. So everything right now points toward him staying. Then Ron asks, do I think Iowa's two receivers in the portal may stay since Cade McNamara is coming to Iowa? And what are my thoughts on the Michigan tight end on him considering Iowa? Anything is possible, but Keegan and Arlen both have power five offers. So I'd say it's unlikely. And Keegan especially has been getting some high level offers. So I'd say it's especially unlikely in his case. And Iowa is certainly recruiting a lot of guys in the transfer portal at wide receiver. So we'll probably see some new faces at that position. And that's a good segue to the second part of Ron's question about the Michigan tight end, Eric All Jr. 
he's actually, as you listen to this, he's on his official visit to Iowa from Thursday to Saturday. And that would be a good get for Iowa. Obviously, Iowa already has Luke Lachey, who's a very capable tight end. If you get all and Lachey, I would recommend being in 12 personnel with two tight ends on the field a lot because those would be two really good playmakers to have at tight end. There are certainly a lot of appealing factors for somebody like all to commit to Iowa. He is former roommate and co-cap fellow co-captain of Cade McNamara was one of Cade McNamara's favorite targets at Michigan. So certainly chemistry there. Iowa is one of his three finalists, according to a report from the Cincinnati Inquirer. So we'll see what happens there. How we asked, did Iowa recruit Max Duggan and Ashley Jones? So some background, Max Duggan, TCU quarterback from Council Bluffs, Ashley Jones, Iowa State star from the Iowa City area. Duggan, yes, but so did about half the free world. So it wasn't so much of Iowa not seeing or being aware of good talent at the position in the state as much as it was in this case, everyone else seeing also what Max Duggan could do. Looking through some of the offers, according to his 24-7 profile, Ohio State, Penn State, Notre Dame, Georgia, I could go on, but I think people get the picture that. A lot of people were interested in how he can throw the football, and Iowa didn't win that one. In terms of Ashley Jones, not really. And there are a lot of factors for why a coach might not recruit a player, even if they're talented. I'm sure Iowa's staff was aware of Jones' talent, considering you know she's right in their backyard. So, you know, it's not much of a stretch to assume that they were aware. With that in mind, a couple possible reasons for why somebody might not get recruited by their hometown school. Oftentimes, parents are a factor as well. When you're recruiting a player, you're really recruiting their parents as well. In Ashley Jones' case, her father was ejected from Carver Hawkeye Arena at the 2020 Cyhawk game. And Connor McCaffrey tweeted something about how it's something along the lines of first time I've seen somebody ejected from a game before it even started. So there are a lot of factors, and that could be potentially one of those when you have that type of situation. And I think it really indicates that the Iowa system has not set up wide receivers for a lot of statistical success and a lot of high production at a position that is kind of numerically driven. How many targets are you getting? How many catches? How many yards? That kind of thing. So it's been tight end you and it's been a team that likes to run the ball a lot and When you have those two things, it can sometimes come at the cost of keeping your best wide receivers. And if you aren't putting your best wide receivers in a position to succeed, then you're going to have losses. And Charlie Jones was the perfect example of that. 
somebody who you really didn't see him show that full potential of what he could be at wide receiver in Brian Ferentz's system goes over to Purdue and has an outstanding season there. And then Gary asks, what does the transfer of wide receivers in the last two years indicate? How do you fill those skill positions for your new quarterback? It indicates, in my opinion, that it has not been a system that has been beneficial for wide receivers producing a lot of results. And Charlie Jones was the key study for that when he didn't have much of a year at wide receiver in 2021 in Iowa. He did have a phenomenal year as a punch and kick returner, but not so much at wide receiver. He goes to Purdue and he takes off at wide receiver and puts up incredible numbers, better numbers than Iowa's entire wide receiver room combined. So that's what it's a sign of. And in terms of filling those positions now, it's certainly something that I'm sure recruits are aware of that wide receivers have not been necessarily the centerpiece of this offense by any means but the biggest advantage that you have is Cade McNamara people are going to want to play with him and that could be the reason why Iowa gets a couple of receivers that they might not have otherwise gotten then Patrick asks about Kirk's comments about the offense and I'm assuming he's referring to the comments from the bull press conference when he said they didn't think anything is really broken when the offense finished 130th in total offense in the regular season. The broken comment surprised me too. I get that Kirk's trying not to throw anybody under the bus, but saying nothing is broken is not really acknowledging reality. It'd be like me you know, on the side of the road with a blown out tire thinking, oh, this tire isn't that bad. It's just the numbers show that the offense really has not been good. There are ways that you can probably say that without throwing anybody under the bus, but that's what was said. And I'll move on to the next question. Then a popular one was about um, wanting to learn more about Joe Labus and Carson May. Robert Scott and another Robert asked about that. And we haven't seen much of them, either of them, at the college level. High school results, it's difficult to really get a sense off their high school highlight tapes, what they're going to be like at the college level. Joe Labus, we saw a little bit during the kids' day practice. He got some 11 on 11 reps, some good things. Some things that showed that, hey, he's still a young quarterback with plenty to learn too. Carson May, we haven't really seen any of in any type of 11-on-11 setting. So he did travel a little bit. So we'll see what happens in this next few weeks ahead of the bowl game. Well, we'll hear about what happens because we're not allowed into practice. And that's part of the reason too why I can't really go into too much more of specifics on what they're doing on scout team because we're not allowed in for practice but this will be a key next few weeks for both of them figuring out who's farther ahead in terms of learning the playbook joe obviously has a year head start on that there are two different styles of quarterbacks we do know that joe labus is much more of a dual threat guy carson may is much more of a pro style guy I know Shocker having 
quarterbacks that are in consideration where one is more mobile and the other is more pro style. Let me know if that sounds familiar at all. But that's what we know about that. Um, and then one of the follow-up questions about Labus and May was about why not putting the third string guy against Nebraska when things weren't going well. That would be a really tough set of circumstances to put somebody who hasn't taken a college snap before in, and you're better off with Padilla in that situation. And then another question with along the Labus May lines, kind of grouping them all together here. With a new quarterback, does that mean a more conservative playbook? It certainly is an adjustment when neither guy has been in the system as long as Spencer Peters or Alex Padilla have been in the system. They'll have to make some adjustments. What exactly are those adjustments? We'll see. It might be a more simplified or a more, okay, quarterback might improvise a little bit type of situation. But we'll see what happens with that on December 31st. Then Philip and Jeff ask about, so since Kentucky's first-string quarterback and first-string running back have opted out, how do I like Iowa's chances of winning? Norman asked a similar question about which team can come up with a serviceable quarterback. So the odds certainly help when Kentucky is without key players. We'll see what exactly happens in these next few days of few days and few weeks of the transfer portal. Of course, arrivals are not going to be arriving in time for participation in the bowls, but just in terms of who all is playing and who all isn't is going to be a significant factor, obviously, there. I'd say we'll see in terms of the betting odds can change probably a bunch more times as more things become known between now and the bowl game. Either way, it should be low scoring in terms of which team can come up with a serviceable quarterback. Kentucky has had a quarterback who has taken snaps in games. Now he hasn't started, but that certainly is an advantage when it's not your first time going out there in a game whether it's Joe, whether it's Carson, either way, they're going to be in a tough position there in Nashville. Adam asks, the Hawkeye staff is selling offensive changes to Cade McNamara based on recent quotes from Cade. What do you think those changes could be? Staff changes, philosophy changes, et cetera. I'm really curious about this. And the next time that we get to talk to Brian Ferentz, which will hopefully be leading up to the bowl game, that's going to be right on my list, pretty high up on my list of questions for him. So we'll see to be sure. Um, Cade talked about the offense opening up more. That would be interesting if that indeed is the case. I would imagine that a lot of offensive coordinators say that to quarterbacks in the transfer portal. So we'll see what exactly those look like. But regardless, changes are clearly necessary when you look at this offense's results this season. You know, if they had some semblance of offense, this could be a eight and two, or excuse me, a ten and two team. Instead, seven and five, ten and two, and going to the Big Ten championship game is a lot more appealing than seven and five. It really is necessary to make changes. We'll see what exactly those are. Walter asks, who is handling portal recruiting? 
it's a lot similar to traditional recruiting where you have assistant coaches who are looking at guys. You've got the recruiting staff led by Tyler, Tyler Barnes, who has a big role as well. So it's kind of just an expanded role for like how traditional recruiting works. Now it's, you've got traditional recruiting and portal recruiting and the portal periods are probably rather helpful for these coaches so that they have to think about it for the next 45 days, but they're not thinking about it for eight months. So it's just this 45 day period. And then the 15 day period in the spring, unless you're a graduate transfer, in which case things are different, but then Jeff asks how many more transfers out are expected. Could there be more possibly? Is there going to be a lot more? I doubt it. We've probably seen the bulk of the transfers for now. Maybe something changes if a player comes in and all of a sudden somebody who has been at Iowa says, oh, wait a second. But a thing to keep in mind, too, is this is kind of a game of musical chairs with the transfer portal. And there are going to be people who will not have a chair left for them. And the later you enter the portal, the less time you have to find that landing spot because scholarship spots are very temporary and they can get taken up fast. Then um, James asks if I think that the Swarm Collective has been somewhat secretive at all, considering that we oftentimes hear about large dollar numbers when five-star recruits go to other schools, but we haven't heard with Proctor what it's been. I would say actually the Swarm people have been as transparent as possible. They have to be careful with what they say to not get in trouble with the NCAA. And Brad Heinrichs is in charge of it and he's a smart guy. He's an actuary. So he's obviously not going to do anything stupid that could get the Swarm in trouble. But he's been very accessible to me and other media so I'd say they've been as transparent as possible without getting themselves in trouble. Then Bruce asks about who Iowa has in reserve for the players who may not be able to play in Nashville. So the two possible groups of people who might not play, one group is transfer portal departures. Those players most likely almost guaranteed are not going to be playing. And then if anybody opts out from the bowl game, we haven't heard about any yet, but that doesn't mean that it wouldn't happen. In terms of the transfer portal departures, obviously wide receiver is the biggest probably concern going into Nashville in terms of transfer portal depth, because if you would have had a healthy Keegan, that would have gone a long ways. Arland obviously has been important. So instead, it's going to be a lot of pressure on Nico Ragaini, a lot of pressure on Deontay Vines, a lot of pressure on Brody Brecht. Could be seeing some of Alec Wick out there. Then in terms of other positions, linebacker with Justin Jacobs leaving, we've already been seeing that because Jacobs has been out for the season anyways. In terms of defensive back, Terry Roberts has already been out, so that isn't too much of a change with Reggie Bracey. He hadn't been getting a lot of snaps either defensively, so that doesn't make a big difference. 
the other position of impact is probably quarterback considering Petrus is not available to go because of his shoulder surgery. Then you have Padilla alleviate the portal. Then, okay, now you're going to Joe and Carson, which I've talked about before, whoever goes in there, it's a great opportunity for them, but it's also really difficult circumstances that they're having to go into. And then the other, the one player I haven't mentioned, Gavin Williams at running back. We've already seen him kind of playing third fiddle to Caleb Johnson or Sean Williams. So we'll probably see a good chunk of them as well. Maybe Jazzy and Patterson. Those are kind of the fill-ins or reserves for the various transfer portal departures. And then last but not least, Thomas asks, how does Iowa's transfer portal numbers compare with other Big Ten schools? Thomas is kind of reading my mind because that's one of the next things on my to-do list is to really dig into those numbers and be able to go into some depth on that. From glances of what I've seen kind of at a 30,000 mile view from earlier in the week, higher than some other schools, but not as high as others, does not seem to be anything crazy unusual for college football. We're seeing a lot of departures across the board. Transfer portal is becoming kind of the way of the future. That's the kind of new reality of college sports. And then before I sign off, also want to congratulate our producer, Nathan Ford, on his upcoming wedding. Nathan Ford, one of the names that you maybe don't see as much that has a very important impact on everything that we do to get you your Hawkeye coverage in various digital formats. So congratulations to Nathan. And until next week, we will talk Hawks later. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.